Good morning. It's uh, very good to be back with you. Missed you. We love you guys so much and uh, just a joy to be back this morning. We had a wonderful time. God blessed our our trip. Uh, The Holy Spirit was with us, uh, used us. We had opportunities to... uh, to show the love of God to people, we uh, and 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 we received the love of God from from people. Uh, two weeks ago, we were in church with a very sweet, dear group of believers in Hilo, Hawaii, at the Calvary Chapel. There, we were uh, blessed to worship with them, and we 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 just enjoyed the worship and and the the teaching time and the fellowship. Just a, a humble. Simple group of believers there who loved Jesus. Very encouraging. And then I had an amazing experience last Sunday. Uh, I was last Sunday. I was fellowshipping, worshiping with a group of Indonesian Christians uh, who were workers on the uh, on the Holland America ship that that we were on. It was and uh, I actually got to share a little message with them and pray for them and and uh, so it was like I I was uh, I was still doing my thing with, even there even there on the ship it was it was amazing and, I, and I'll tell you just a little bit about how it happened because it was so amazing I was sitting on the with a chair on the on the deck of the ship the promenade deck I had my computer out there as as working and and this this Indonesian young man. Uh, came most of them are are Muslims. Indonesians are like eighty eight percent Muslim, and almost all of them on the ship are Muslims. But uh, he he came up and I was I was on I was relaxed. It's like it's like you're sitting on a lawn chair, you know, just just relaxed. And his job apparently for the day he had a a little can of polish and a rag, and he was polishing the little metal brackets on the chair. And he just moved down chair by chair. And even as I was just, I was sitting there relaxing, and he was there on his on his hands and knees polishing the brackets on my chair. I asked the Lord for a word to say, and all I could think of was the name Jesus. So I said, uh, "I said, well, you're probably a Muslim, but you remind me of Jesus. Just Jesus was a servant." And the way you're, the way you're there down on your hands and knees serving, that's how Jesus served. And I talked a little bit about what Jesus did with the apostles. And anyway, he said, well, are you a Christian? And I said, yes, I am. And he pointed to his name tag, which was Daniel. And he said, I am a Christian too. <laughs> and he said, I'm, I'm one of the few on the ship, but he said, we, the few, the few Christians, Indonesians, we're going to get, we're going to have church tonight at 11 o'clock. So he said, if you want to come, come. So uh, I was almost asleep at 11, but I, I got up and went and went down and for an hour and a half uh, worshipped with these Indonesian believers and they asked me to share a message with them, uh, which, which, uh, which I gladly did and prayed with them, prayed for them. And uh, there's about 30 of them. There and it was just a real sweet um, experience. One of the highlights of the of the of the trip for me. And uh, we, you know, these people don't. They they are really a, a a great minority. And one of the girls that was in church there, she said, "In my hometown, there are three families that believe in Jesus. Only three families that believe in Jesus, out of about a hundred and fifty families in her town or or village." 
So you can just imagine how, how uh, tough it is for these people to live, live for Christ. And even, even on the ship, um, probably, I don't know that all the Christians came, but if there were 30 of them that came to this, to this church service, I mean, there's, there's probably eight or 900 of them on, on, the, on the ship. There's a lot of them that, that serve in roles on the ship. But anyway... Uh, God, it was just—it was just for me. It was a huge blessing just how God used the little little thing, that guy coming along polishing those brackets. Just God bringing to my mind to say something about Jesus, Him saying He was a Christian, getting invited to this church service, and then getting to pray with them, worship with them, and, and getting to share a message with them uh, was was a huge, huge uh, blessing. Well, the Holy Spirit is with us wherever we go, and that's a wonderful thing. You know, Peter ended his first message, going back to Acts 2, Peter ended his first message by saying, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The goal of the gospel is for you to receive the Holy Spirit. The goal of the gospel, or the end result, the end result of repenting, the the end result of coming to Christ, the end result of faith in Jesus, the end result of forgiveness of your sins, is to receive the gift of the Spirit. This is, the Holy Spirit is the prize. Um, He is the all-inclusive, all-sufficient gift for the rest of your life. Um, and the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit is the, is the down payment of all that is coming to you in all eternity. Everything that you are able to do as a Christian flows out of the gift of the Holy Spirit poured out to, upon you. Every good fruit you bear, every good thing you can do or will do, every spiritual gift you have, your inward desire to please the Father, your inward desire to love God, all of that flows out of the Holy Spirit living in you. The book of Acts, as we have said, is the, is the continued actions of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit through God's people. It's the continued actions of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit through God's people. You do things for Jesus. You serve and you work today because the Holy Spirit is working in you, in your situations, and with the people around you. And in story after story, the book of Acts shows us that the Holy Spirit is working through God's people. Whether it's the apostles, whether it's through ordinary believers, the Holy Spirit is working through God's people. And the message clearly is that he wants to work through you. The Holy Spirit was poured out upon you, was given to you. The Spirit of Jesus was sent into your heart in order to speak through you, to love through you, to reach people through you. And so being a Christian is to be a a daily adventure of trusting in the Spirit of God. 
to guide you into divine appointments and opportunities to show forth the love and the message of Jesus. And, you know, the good news, the good news is for me especially, the good news is that he is not hindered by our weaknesses, our personal handicaps, or our limited resources. You know, Romans 8 says, we do not even know how to pray as we ought. But, it says, even so, the, hel- the Spirit helps our weaknesses. I mean, when it comes to doing God's things, when it comes to doing God's things, we, we are this paradox of profound weakness, but also of amazing power. We don't know how to speak about Jesus or what to say in all kinds of situations, but the Spirit is there to guide us, to prompt us, to empower us as God's instruments in, peop- in, in people's lives every, everywhere we go. Now, in this chapter, uh, Peter and John are they're arrested, they're warned, and they're threatened for telling people about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the authorities, they attempt to strike fear in their hearts, to silence them through intimidation. But one factor changed this whole situation into a great, into a great victory for the message of Jesus Christ. Uh, there was, as I was preparing this message, I just thought of this phrase, there was an X factor. <laughs> and that X factor is found in verse 8. But Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. That, I mean, that, change, that changes the whole story. Filled, filled with the Holy Spirit, he began to react and to respond and to speak. And such amazing things he said, such amazing answers, which we're going to look at a little bit later in more detail. What irresistible logic, what wise answers, what bold proclamation of the name of Jesus flowed out of Peter's mouth. Because Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. He reacted, he responded, filled with the Holy Spirit. He seized the moment as a spirit-filled man, and God used him. Now we think of of, of Peter and John as 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 great men, as very maybe maybe even dominant men, apostles, uh, leaders of the church. But we have to remember at this time, at the time of this story, the church was small and unimpressive, and these men had no impressive resume. Their status, and I'm talking about the apostles, and even Peter and John, their status in Jerusalem as far as influence or power was nothing. They were nobodies. And measured, against, measured up against these powerful Jewish leaders, the rulers, the teachers, the elders, they, they, were, just, they were just common, ordinary men. They were... They were social rabble, so to speak. I mean, there was nothing at all to make them outstanding. But, but, against this, against this earthly, natural, political, and religious power, God had appointed another kind of power, the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And so it is today. The church is to move forward by the power of the Spirit. You and I, in our weakness, in our ordinariness, in our commonness, we are to move forward by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it just amazes me continually that the Holy Spirit can take weak people like me, like us, and use us in situations with people to show the kindness and love and the message of Jesus. The church was and is always to be supernaturally empowered. Uh, we, may, we may look and feel more like David than Goliath, but David had the power. David said to Goliath, you come against me with human weapons, with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And that's, that's how we operate. We, we come at life, we come at situations in the power and in the name of the Lord of hosts. The need, the need of the church is not primarily programs and buildings and money, but power. And of course, these other things can be used by God and we thank God for them. But un, unless we have the anointing and the power of God's Spirit, we will not see the, the spiritual changes, the, the miraculous changes that need to take place in people's hearts and lives. So this story begins um, with the healing of a crippled beggar. And then it shows how God used that event or how God brought things out from that once that one event in order to bring the message of Jesus Christ to the city of Jerusalem. That's an amazing miracle. Uh, and I, I'm sure you guys, Josh taught on this last week, this guy, had, he had not just sprained his ankle the day before, he'd been crippled for 40 years. And when he was healed, the general, the public was astonished. And so the, that miracle gave a platform for Peter to give credit to the name of Jesus Christ for this healing. And it gave a platform for Peter to proclaim the resurrection as evidence that Jesus, whom they had rejected, was the Messiah. But this, this great opportunity to, to go into the streets of Jerusalem and have people all gathered around because they were excited and astonished about this healing, this, this great opportunity to, to proclaim Jesus also incited the first major opposition. And it came from the leaders, the teachers, the rulers, or the teachers of the law, the elders, the teachers of the city of Jerusalem. And yet it was through, through this opposition that God that God set the stage for the name of Jesus to be claimed in even greater ways before the city officials and religious leader, leaders. And to me, this is, it is exciting to see how the Spirit works through circumstances in people's lives. And not, not to belabor it, but just, just the way, like on that ship, he, just that one little... Indonesian boy coming along, just the name mention of the name of Jesus ending up resulting in something you know bigger and getting to worship and pray and teach with uh, these those dear people. Um, Peter and John did not plan the events of this story. They did not 
foresee that there would be a crippled man on the way to the temple. They did not have a strategy to testify before the city leaders. They did not have a carefully mapped out agenda. Not at all. One small thing led to another, and then another, and then another. They were being carried along by the plans and works of the Holy Spirit. And pretty soon, they're standing before the rulers, the teachers of the law, the leaders of the city of Jerusalem, and they are proclaiming there, in public, the name of Jesus that is above all names. They just happened to be going to the temple for for a prayer meeting at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. A cripple was being carried to the temple at the same time. They did, he asked for money, and they didn't have any money, but they offered healing in Jesus' name. The man was healed. He got up, and he walked, and he jumped, and praised God. And people saw him do this. And the word, the word of this man's healing spread like wildfire and allowed this large crowd immediately gathered. And when Peter saw the gathering of the people, he began to tell them about Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. And the priests and the rulers of the city heard the commotion. They came to check things out. When they heard Peter proclaiming Jesus, they were angry. They were disturbed. They regarded the resurrection as a dangerous idea. Uh, They saw the healing of a man in Jesus' name as a threat. And so they seized Peter and John and put them in, in prison. And the next day they arranged a hearing before the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law. In other words, they brought them before the most powerful men of the city. And this this hearing was designed to create fear in Peter and John. It was designed to silence them by intimidation. They, They had them arrested. They seized them. They put them in jail. They commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And it says they made additional threats, which we don't know what they were, but... Probably we will, stuff like we will harm your families, we will hurt your, your relatives, your, we will confiscate your money, or we'll, have your, we'll, or we'll have you beaten and jailed. And just two months earlier, Jesus had been crucified at the instigation of these same men. And Peter and John were, I think, were very aware of what these men could do to them or what could have done to them. And I think these authorities, I think they fully expected Peter and John to cower before their threats and their intimidation. But Peter and John did not respond with fear. Instead, they were filled with the Spirit. And so when they were questioned in this very intimidating situation, they had amazing answers. They had no time to prepare uh, remarkably clever and profound responses. Uh, They didn't know the questions ahead of time, but the Holy Spirit gave them these, these amazing answers. The Holy Spirit gave them words to say because Jesus had said, whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John had this incredible opportunity to proclaim that Jesus is the way. 
of salvation. And if one detail of the story was removed or changed, this proclamation would never have happened. It was, it was orchestrated by God. It was the action. It was the activity of the Holy Spirit. And so he, he gets the credit for being at work, being the power at work in this situation. So standing before these powerful men, it says, Peter was filled with the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit brought to Peter's mind this irresistible logic. And what was the first thing he said? He said, We are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple. Those leaders must have squirmed in their seats when Peter said that. I mean, how, what a great thing to say. What, how could they argue against an act of kindness shown to a cripple? And I think Peter's opening statement, his, just his very first words made their accusations look silly and heartless and cold. And it just clearly pointed out what a, what, what a good thing it was that had happened that Peter and John had done for this man in the name of Jesus. And Peter goes on, but if you want to know how this man has been healed, it is by the name of Jesus that this man is standing before you. Peter gives all the credit to Jesus. And then he, he, he boldly adds this, well, what I would call kind of a stinger at the end of that. He says, Oh, by the way, this is the same Jesus whom you crucified. And he is the one God raised from the dead. You know, instead of Peter responding out of fear, Peter has these men shaking in their boots. I mean, he has turned the tables. Instead of him being filled with fear, he has by the power of the Spirit, created a trembling and a a fear in them. And he goes on to tell them that their rejection of Jesus is the fulfillment of God's word. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. You know, we don't maybe know that much about cornerstones, but the most important stone in any building in those days was the cornerstone. And the entire structure was, was based on that or was supported by that, by that stone. It was the key stone, the most important stone in the structure. So if the stone quarry sends up the cornerstone to the building site, and if the builders, builders say, hey, we're not going to use that stone, throw it away, and they toss it down in the valley... That would show an incredible error in judgment. They just took the most important stone in the building and rejected it. And Peter is saying, that is exactly what you have done with Jesus. And so instead of Peter and John, in a sense, being on trial, they are trying these leaders. These leaders find themselves on try, trial. They are being tried by Peter's words and by the word, words of Scripture, by the word of God. And then Peter makes one of the most important statements about Jesus in the whole Bible. Salvation is found in no one else, 
For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Remember, these, these leaders, are, they're, they're the ones who hated and killed Jesus. And Peter says, you can't be saved except through him. You rejected him, but you can't be saved without him. The road to God goes through Jesus and only through Jesus. You guys may want to stop this message, but it's the only hope of salvation for you and for all of mankind. And I'm sure everyone has, but I I feel compelled to ask the question, have you placed your trust completely in the name of Jesus to save you this morning? Or have you put your trust in something else or someone else? It says salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name. There's no other thing, no other procedure, uh, no other religious ritual, no other person. Nothing else under heaven by which you can be saved except by trusting completely in the name of of Jesus. And you know, it's very unpopular to say that, that no one can be saved except through the name of Jesus, but it's a very clear message of the Bible. But if you think it's unpopular today, it was even more of an offense to these Jewish leaders to tell them that they cannot be saved except through the name of Jesus. Well, these rulers, leaders, teachers of the law, um, they have no change of heart, but it dawns on, on them that these two simple men should not be able to speak like this to them. It's like, it's like all of a sudden they say, wait a minute, uh, these fishermen, they should be shaking in fear of us. We are the leaders. We have the power. We are trained. We are the highly educated. These guys should not be able to stand up to us like they are. They shouldn't be able to answer us with this kind of confidence and boldness. Verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus such such power, such wisdom, such um, uncan- uncannily, uh, I don't know if that's a word, but uncanny, appropriate, and powerful answers just, it just shouldn't be happening. Um, it just doesn't compute. And this was not something that they had seen before. But again, they did not know they did not know about the X factor. They did not know about the power of the Spirit. But they did see, they did see and they did make this observation that people who have been with Jesus have some kind of remarkable resource that ordinary people do not have. Well, the leaders realized they could not win this debate with Peter and John, so they said, in order to stop this message from spreading to more and more people, we must tell them to, spot, to, to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. 
So in verse 18, they called Peter and John in again to the hearing and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But again, the Holy Spirit gave Peter and John this incredible answer to respond. They said, well, you must decide then whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God. In other words, they, he, they, he, they just said, well, do you, think, do you think that God would say we should listen to him or to you? You be the judges. <laughs> Again, such, 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 such powerful thoughts that, uh, again, came to Peter's mind, Peter and John's mind, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what could these, what could these men say to that? And then Peter and John said, As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. The message about Jesus was so wonderful, so important, so desperately needed by a lost world that the disciples were inwardly compelled to keep speaking about it. And the city leaders, rulers, teachers of the law, they couldn't decide how to deal with them. So they just ended up by making more threats, making more and greater, harsher threats against them. But the threats did not work because Peter and John, they were men filled with the Holy Spirit. They were being moved upon by the Holy Spirit, not dominated by the fear of man. All right, I would like to just cover several things that we should take away from from this story. Number one, Always be ready for the Holy Spirit to use you. Expect the Holy Spirit to use you. Expect the Holy Spirit to use you wherever you are, whoever you're with, whatever situation you're around. And be ready. Uh, You know, opportunities to speak about Christ, opportunities to demonstrate love or kindness to someone usually come with very little advance notice. You know, in, for example, the, 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 the crippled man that was just happened to be right there when they're walking to the temple, calling out for money. Or when Peter was drugged before these rulers and authorities. These were opportunities to speak up for Christ that came with very little advance notice. So we, we need to just live ready. We need, we need to live filled with the Spirit, always ready for every opportunity. And I thought it was interesting, you know, it was later, later in his life, Peter said, always be ready to give an account for the hope you have within you to anyone who asks. Seize the moment. Be filled with the Spirit and be, be ready to seize the moment. Number two, Realize that your problems, your trials, your problems, your catastrophes may be an open door for you to speak up for Christ. You know, Peter and John had this remarkable opportunity to proclaim Christ to the, to the leaders of the city because they got into trouble. The Apostle Paul saw being in prison as a way that even more people would hear about Christ, you know. That wouldn't be the maybe maybe our logic, but that was Paul. That was Paul's 
Paul's logic. And we need to think that way too. And if your, if your trial or your problems, um, your situations uh, has brought you into contact with different people who you can bless or love or pray for or speak to about Christ... I mean, that's, you, sh- you should be looking for that. Realize that your problems, trials, and even catastrophes may be an open door for you to bless or love or pray for or speak to others about Christ. And then completely trust in the Spirit to enable you to be God's instrument in every situation which God places you. You know, I think, one of the, I think one of the reasons that most of us have uh, difficulty, or many of us have, I should say, difficulty about telling others about Jesus or, or just even expressing the love of God to someone or praying for someone in a situation, I think the reason that we have difficulty is often that we, that we just tense up not knowing what to say and, and kind of trying to rely on ourselves to come up with something clever to say. But we need to just have complete trust, complete confidence that the Holy Spirit will give us something to say, will show us what to do in each situation and go with that. When I, when I mentioned this young Indonesian man, when I said, said that you remind me of Jesus, you know, the only word I could think of was Jesus. And I saw him there serving me. And I thought it was the most stupid thing to say. I thought it was the most stupid come on I could ever think of. But I wanted to say something to him. And I just thought of Jesus. He reminded me of Jesus. So I just told him that. I said, you remind me of Jesus. They're serving me like that. And, uh, you know, he just, you just have to trust the Holy Spirit and go with what, go with what he gives you. Uh, one of, one, I was blessed on this trip by reading two, two powerful books that just really uh, ministered to me uh, throughout the trip. And uh, uh, one of them uh, was a book about the Moravians, Count Zinzendorf. And there's a quote in there that, 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 really, that really helped me. It said, Just as we have left the whole burden of our sins and rest on the finished work of Christ, so let us leave the burden of our lives and service and rest upon the inworking of the Holy Spirit. We give ourselves up morning by morning to be led by the Holy Spirit and go forth praising and resting, leaving Him to manage our day joyfully depending upon Him and obeying Him, expecting Him to guide, to enlighten, to reprove, to teach, to use, and to do in us and with us what He wills. Count upon His working in you as a fact, altogether apart from sight or feeling. Cease from the burden of trying to manage yourself. You know, it's the Spirit that can give you what to say. It's the Spirit that can give us initiative and boldness and words when they're needed. And we just, we just need to trust in Him totally and, and relax a little bit and then go with what, he, with what He gives us. 
Next, uh, have greater appreciation of the power of the name of Jesus to heal and to save. You know, that crippled man was healed by faith in the name of Jesus. Peter and John testified to that. They also testified that we can be saved only by faith, again, in the name of Jesus. God made the name of Jesus the only means of obtaining anything from him. All that we have, all that God has for us, comes through the name of Jesus Christ. And that's why we sing that song, what a powerful name it is. All, everything that God has for you, everything that God has to pour out upon you, upon your heart and your soul and your life, comes through the name of Jesus. And all the ways that he wants to use you as, an in, as his instrument, all the ways that he wants to bless people through you, speak to people through you, that all comes through the name of Jesus. So let us, let us expect mighty things to be done in the name of Jesus among us. Uh, let's expect healings to take place in the name of Jesus. Let us expect people to be saved in the name of Jesus. Let us expect lives to be transformed, marriages restored, depressed hearts to become happy, people in bondage to be set free through faith in the name of Jesus. Next lesson. Ultimately, we must obey God when, when that conflicts with what people tell us to do and say. One of the most, one of the most re- remarkable characteristics of a spirit-filled man or woman, is a spirit of submission to others, okay? God tells us to be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. He tells us to obey those in authority over us. And yet, there may be critical times in your life where the worst thing you could do would be to obey what another person tells you you must do. Do not obey you obey your teacher, do not obey your boss, or even church leaders if they contradict what God says. There may be times that you must disobey them in order that you may obey God. God is so much higher in authority and power than any human being. It just makes sense that we must obey him rather than anyone else. I mean, the answer to to Peter's question is simple. Uh, judge for yourselves. Should we, should we obey God or should we obey you? Next lesson. The, the Spirit creates an inner compulsion to speak about the things of God. When, when these leaders tried to, to, to make Peter and John shut up, they said, you know, we, well, we just cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. There was, there was something, something bubbling up from inside of them that just overflowed. And that's the way it's got to be. I mean, Jesus said, out of the, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I quoted from John Piper, where he said, the mouth is simply the pressure valve of the inner life. It, you know, in one sense, our need isn't not, is not to just focus on, oh, I need to witness more. But our need is to have fuller hearts. <laughs> the mouth is simply the pressure valve of the inner life. Our need is to be more stirred by what we have seen and heard. Our need is to be more compelled by the love 
of Jesus Christ. Our, le- our need is to just be more captivated by that. And may, may, that, may that be so. Next, as a follower of Jesus, you will share in his rejection. He is the rejected stone. Jesus Christ is the rejected stone. And the more closely you identify with Jesus and his message and follow his ways, the more you are likely to be despised or belittled by at least some people in this world. And it has to be that way. It can be no other way. And one of the greatest dangers to the church is the desire to be liked by the world. One of the greatest threats to you following Jesus is a desire to be in agreement with the world or to be liked by the world. You must accept opposition. You must accept like Jesus being rejected or being misunderstood or being regarded as weak or misguided or naive or foolish. All of that is a part of following Christ. And the last lesson is that in in order to carry out anything, in order for you to carry out anything Jesus asks you to do, you will have to overcome opposition. You'll have to deal with and overcome opposition, just as Peter and John did here in this chapter. Jesus said to to the one who overcomes... I will give a place to set with me on my throne just as I overcame and have sat down with my father on his throne. As we read through the book of Acts and through even throughout church history, the kingdom of God moved forward through triumphs and through setbacks, through progress and opposition. It's never all easy. It's never all victory. We must overcome. We must be overcomers. And that's what Peter and John were in this story. In the face of incredible intimidation, and in the face of incredible fear, in the face of incredible threats, in the face of incredible uh, efforts to stop them and to silence them, they were overcomers. They overcame. And this is true if you attempt any kind of faithful ministry, It's true in your own spiritual life, just in following Jesus faithfully to the end. It's true if you seek to be a godly husband or wife or father or mother. You must be an overcomer. You must overcome the opposition. Jesus had to overcome rejection, hatred, being misunderstood. He had to overcome injustice, lies, cruelty, mistreatment, death on a cross, and the grave. But Jesus said, I have overcome and have sat down with my father on his throne. He overcame it all. And that's what you are to do do too. Another quote from uh, the book that I quoted from earlier. It says, the New Testament clearly teaches that hostile spiritual powers work through men and nations opposing the work of God his kingdom, and his people. I mean, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's opposing forces and powers and people at work against us. How do we handle supernatural opposition when we know we are in the will of God? 
We stay where we are, we serve faithfully, and suffer if necessary. And maybe most importantly of all, like Peter and John, we seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that instead of responding with defeat and despair, we respond and we speak and we react with courage, power, and wisdom. And that's, that's really our need. I mean, life is not easy. It's a battle. There's spiritual forces against, arrayed against us. Demons and devils and people. And yet, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we march forward. And we react and we speak and we respond with the filling and the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, let's pray.